Hallelujah. We thank God for always being gracious and merciful to us. That every time we gather, he opens up the boils of his mercy and pours upon us his presence. I'm glad I'm in Bible study tonight. If you are glad, you can welcome three, four people around you and say, welcome to church tonight. Welcome to church. I could not resist the opportunity to dive into the flow. I wanted to come up as quickly as possible so that we could clear all the administrative things and begin to teach. But the minute I stood here, I could not resist the direction the river was going. Um, so we don't have much time, but we'll see how God helps us tonight as we attempt to bring this first series of the year to a great climax tonight. Every Sunday that I am here, by the grace of God, I will be giving you updates on our building project as we trust God that by December we would have shifted location physically by the mercies of God. So we've done a lot of sand feeling as at today we have spent um, slightly above 20 million to sand fill the land. A trip of sand is 75,000 so if you do your mathematics, where is Ovier? Where is Otogo? That's our project engineer for the project but he seems not to be available tonight I wanted to get the figure correctly I think we've done 267 trips so if you do that calculation it's something above 20 million and the land is able we can walk from the end at least from the beginning towards the end so the next phase is the foundation and if you've been here, I've told you that the foundation is 40 million naira. That's about 40,000 US dollars. And uh, when I was here last Sunday, I told you that we had probably, if I mentioned it as at last Sunday, we had probably about only 3 million. But today I can tell you we have 18 million. I thought you will celebrate Jesus. Um, so that is a sign that the Lord is with us on this journey. Um, we have that 18 million in dollars and in naira. So we are just building. I want to salute all those that are part of Project 750 because a lot of people are redeeming their pledges. And I know that some more will redeem as the month comes to a close. So, without doubt, the foundation will begin latest the second week of February. And I was talking with our pastor in charge of prayer that um, by the time we finish the foundation, we're all going to gather there and make some noise. We will dance there and pray there then we'll start the superstructure. So probably by the end of February, we would have finished the foundation. 
and then we'll trust Jesus to show us mercy. So if you have not given, Project 750 is for 750 people who have been blessed by God and have the capacity to give at least 1 million naira to the project. At least it can be more. So uh, if God has so blessed you and you feel that pressure on your spirit, it's not a man trying to manipulate you. It is God calling you to be part of a sacrifice. So you can give, you can join that. And if you say you are not at that level yet, or God is not leading you to be part of that, you can give according as God blessed you. The account details to use have been displayed. And we trust God that the first phase of 40 million will hit it before the second week of February. And then the foundation will be complete. If you believe Jesus will help us, I want your amen to be loud. Yeah. Praise God. So those of you who are online, you can go to arrowsandworry.org and say, I want to be part of Project 50. And then somebody will get in touch with you, fill the partnership form, and will reach out to you. If you are here and you want to be part of Project 750, see Pastor Mine immediately after service and we will add you to the WhatsApp group and we trust Jesus to help us. Here and now, that is the challenge. It is also what you will look like when Christ appears. Are you with me? So he says, there is a need for your mind to be fortified. Why does your mind need to be fortified? Because if you carefully analyze your Christian life, there is a tendency for you to think, that those who have decided to be God's enemies, there is something that they are enjoying that you are missing. So there's a need for your mind to be fortified so that you understand what truly are the priorities for mortal existence. If your mind is not fortified and you are not sober, you will envy the prosperity of the wicked. Because it will look like those who are God's enemies, they seem to be making advances in life and destiny. And you might not have all of those paraphernalia to describe your own journey in the face of the earth. And you might begin to think that you are failing. So there's a need for your mind to be fortified, for you to be sober. It's in your sobriety that you'll be able to realize that there is more to mortal existence than what we see in the physical realm. I am surprised that we can't turn off our phones before we enter church. My own phone is off. Or on silent at least. We do this every Sunday. It has become a pattern now. This is not a regular church building. So I will warn you for the last time. The next person's phone that rings, I have authority from Jesus to drive you. I will drive you. These meetings are not for jokes. I will drive you. It means you don't consider these things important. Drive you. Next verse. 
As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. So it means, therefore, that before you became obedient, that is, before you experienced salvation, there are two things there. You were a creature of lust, and then you were a creature in what? Ignorance. And these lusts is what the Apostle John describes when he says that all that is in the world, everything in the world is driven by this spirit, is lust, is desire, is unholy desire. It's cravings that are born out of postures that are anti-absolute surrender and government to God. Former lusts. So there are things in your former life that you pursued, that you craved for, that you desired, that when you become obedient, you now, when we look at your life, we should be able to see that you no longer conform to those desires. You don't look like those desires. You are not controlled by those desires. You no longer want what you used to want. Because those periods will be considered period of ignorance because you assumed that your mortal existence, that is your expression in the physical realm, have occasioned an undeniable need for you to have those laws to be met. But the minute you meet Jesus, you recognize that there is more to life and living than what the physical realm offers to you. So Christ becomes the absolute need of your life, the absolute desire of your life, and the absolute reason for your existence. Are we together? Next verse. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in what? All manner of conduct. So we've dealt with these things repeatedly. I, am just, I do this all the time because I know there are people who will be attending Bible study tonight for the first time. So to bring them up to speed with where we have been. Verse 16. Because it is written... Be holy for I am holy. So I've explained this repeatedly. God is saying through Peter here that the reason he's putting the demand of holiness on you is because he is what? It's holy. So he's not trying to punish you. He's not trying to deprive you of what you think might be your legitimate rights. It's because he is holy he wants you to be holy so that fellowship between him and you will be possible. So that intimacy between you and him will be possible. So the journey of a Christian to experiencing deep dimensions of God is hinged or it is dependent on your willingness to be holy. So if you look at your Christian life and you see that you have not gone far with God, check your sanctification. It is because you have not met this critical requirement of holiness. And I told you that holiness is not just being pure, it's not just being clean, it is being separated. You are separated from sin and you are consecrated or you are separated unto the will of God. That's what holiness is. You are separated from sin and then you are separated unto the will of God. So if that separation has not become obvious, if we look at you and your, your life 
is confusing us. The implication of that is because you are not meeting this critical requirement, you cannot experience God to the level that God has made himself available for you to experience. You see, when you get born again, the beauty of the salvation experience is not a breakthrough. When you get born again, the joy of salvation is not that God can give you money. It's not material prosperity. The joy of salvation is that you can call God Father. So the Bible says that the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirits that we are what? We are sons. So the joy of salvation is there is now a possibility that exists for you as a son to walk into the bedchambers of your father. God is not hiding himself from you. The minute you get born again and you begin to meet this requirement of separation, what happens is there are possibilities in God that naturally are now possible for you. The question is, are you prepared to take the journey? So many Christians are around the Christian space and they never, never grow beyond the salvation experience. They never come to know God in his depth and in the riches and in the wealth of the, his wisdom and the dimensions of his manifest presence because they refuse to submit to this process of separation. You need to be separated in your thinking, separated in your appetites, separated in your ambitions, separated in the way you interpret life. So when you see people saying, get rich or die trying, that's not how a Christian thinks. And meanwhile, there are many teachings in the body of Christ that it is not for today, but somehow, somehow, we have so twisted the thoughts of scripture that we have made it look like a rich Christian is more important than a poor one. That if you are not rich, you can't fulfill destiny. That a Christian that does not have money is useless. So many have become thieves in the congregation of the Lord's people because they are trying to meet a standard that is not in the Bible. So many things have been sold to the body of Christ that it is the will of God for every Christian to be rich. Is there material prosperity in Christianity? Yes. Whether you are rich or you are poor is not what is on the heart of God. On the heart of God is that you will come to a point whether, where whether you are rich or poor it no longer matters to you. That is God's agenda. So rich thieves have become pastors. Rich, immoral people have been given front seats because they are the ones contributing to the advancement of the activities of the church. And you know, people have told me that these things I teach will affect people's support for the work. But the more I teach it, the more God raises men who understand that the things I say are not, are not emotional. My allegiance is to the Bible, not to men. My allegiance. 
So I will speak truth, even if the truth has capacity to affect me in a generation that is perverse. I want to stand before my maker and say, I preach truth. No man's blood is on my hands. You see, during the conclave, I'm going to show you the doctrine of God. And you will see that God is not owing you money. I will show you. Joshua was with me in uh, Anambra when I touched it a little. I will show you the, doc the doctrine of God. That God is not compelled to reward you when you do something for him. I know... Oh, okay. <laughs> and I will show you from the Bible. The, because our concept of God has become corrupted by a foul desire within the body to prove a point to the world that we too are succeeding. We forget that the success of a man's life is not just here. It's when we die, we will know those who truly lived. When we die. When we die. This is why those, the nomenclature for those who make it to heaven is overcomers. We will know the overcomers when we cross over. Not everybody who had attended church actually overcame the temptations of this age. It's when we appear there and a new garment has been worn upon us who we truly know those whose garments have not been stained by a perversion that a generation sold. You know right now we can't see our spiritual garments. So we can cover our lies with a suit. Cover our lust for money. I'm going to talk about Judas tonight. <laughs> cover our secret cravings with association. So we do not know that the person sitting by your side is doing gribble, gravy, and is holding pillar to pray. He's an undercover thief. He's just waiting for the opportunity. Then when he gets the opportunity, the true condition of his heart will not be revealed. Have you not been shocked sometimes you look at somebody and you say, how did this sister do this thing? Because when you look at her physical appearance, you cannot tell that there is something unholy that is growing. Is growing. She's feeding it in secret, but you don't know. Then the day that Satan provides an opportunity, you now realize that this one is weak before the temptations of this world. The essence of this teaching is to strengthen the remnant. Because there are many of us who have refused to bow the knee to Babylon. We are determined to be holy. Not because we are trying to prove a point, because the one who called us, we are in a marriage with him. Our covenant is to be holy. Ooh, I feel the weight of his presence. I pray I can teach tonight. <laughs> oh my God. Holiness is a covenant. That's why when I travel, there is no pressure that... Eh, Maybe I'm going to commit adultery. It's a covenant. I live by a covenant. This body has been covenanted to God. And in this kingdom, our wives, riches, riches, we don't need extra. The way God did it in the beginning, a man and a wife, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Eh? The way he did it, we are satisfied. Because we understand that if we are going to work in partnership with a holy God, the requirement is that you too must be what? Holy.
Touch your neighbor, say, be holy. Next verse. Next verse, 17. So, this is where we now began last week, Sunday. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, the implication of that relationship is that you will conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here. How? God is not partial. When you meet him, he's going to reward you. How? According to your works. He will reward you. So on the other side of eternity, that place is a place of rewards. We as believers who overcame, our rewards will be at the judgment seat of Christ. For those who decided to serve, serve Satan, their rewards will be determined at what the Bible calls the white throne judgment. So their reward for those who decided to refuse to be holy so that they can walk with a holy God, what will happen is that their reward is that the Bible says the place that God prepared for the devil and his angels, mm -hmm, that place was not prepared for man. Are you with me? It was prepared for who? The devil and his angels. That place will now become an abode for man because man refused the advances, the love advances of God. So those who rejected God in this life and felt that the requirement of holiness is too much. It's too much. You know, how can there be all these beautiful girls? Beautiful girls like this. Even, if I, even the pop population is in the favor of men. Women are more than men. Eh? How can God be so wicked? Eh? He now made the women plenty and the men small. It must mean that God has something in mind. How can there be all these pretty girls everywhere? And God is saying I should take only one. And even in taking one, he's, the pastor will now come and tell you that it is even possible. When the girls are already so many, God will not even tell you not to marry. What kind of wicked God is that? You will now find out that his commandments to you are his preservation for your soul. He wants you to be able to meet that requirement so that when you appear, you will be numbered in his family. A brother was reaching me and some people were reaching me throughout the week saying they really did not understand when I was saying, when I gave us two questions last week, because this is it's from here I began to talk about those two questions. That the reason many people cannot conduct themselves in fear in their mortal existence is because first, they don't know what the purposes of God are or what the purpose of God is, not are, is. So I said we should write down two questions. What's the first question? What is the purpose of God? What's the second question? What is the end of the Christian life? So let me expand so that those people will understand. So I said that the purpose of God is revealed in three dimensions. Originally, it was in creation. Secondarily, it was in redemption. And finally, it will be in what? Consummation. Go to the next verse. 18. Knowing that 
you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from where? Your father. Go back to the previous verse, verse 17. In verse 17, you see that he, Peter here identifies relationship. That the one we call father, he has the authority to be father because he is the one that created us. So in your salvation, your restoration to God is also a restoration to the submission of the will of your creator. So in God's original plan in creation, man was supposed to live with God, enjoy God, obey God, and manifest the glory of God. Man was basically to contact God and express him in the earth. That was man's major assignment. Live with God, obey him, honor him, and then be God's visible expression in the earth. So as long as Adam maintained relationship with his creator, his father, all of creation was also subject to him. As long as Adam maintained connection with his father, everything in creation remained in alignment. But when creation now had a problem because of Adam's rebellion, verse 18 now became necessary. Redemption now became God's plan. And what is God's plan in redemption? To redeem man and to restore man so that what was lost in Adam can be restored in Christ. So what God is actually doing, if you ask me in what one sentence, what is God doing? What is the purpose of God? God is building a family. Are you with me? He's building what? And what is the tool for this building that he's doing? Is redemption. Redemption is the first block of that building. Why? Because in Adam, man was sold to Satan. What, you've heard me say it many times. What Adam lost in the Garden of Eden was his what? His fatherhood. Satan became the spiritual father of man. And there, there's a metaphor that was used there. If you look at the curse when God was releasing judgment upon them, when he was releasing judgment on the serpent, he said, you shall go on your belly all the days of your life. And what shall you feed on? Dust. Who came from dust? Man. Are you with me? So what Adam lost, when God said, in dying you shall surely die, what he lost was that his relationship with his father was destroyed. That is why when you get born again, the spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are what? Son. His sonship that was restored in Christ. Are you with me? So redemption is the first block. And what is redemption? This one is refresher course now. Because what is redemption? Redemption is to buy back. Buy back. That's what redemption is. So the token for the purchase was the blood of Jesus. That's what Paul calls a propitiation. What did I call it? 
That is the token by which man's salvation was purchased. That token was the blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Man was now purchased. And when I say man, I'm not talking about the male gender. I'm talking about all of humanity. Every human being on the face of the earth, the ones in Suriname, the ones in the Caribbean, the ones in Brazil, the ones in Togo, the ones anywhere in the world, every mortal man has been redeemed. Muslim, Christian, Hindu, Buddhist, every mortal man has been redeemed. When Jesus said on the cross of Calvary, it is finished, he wasn't talking about poverty. Mm. He was saying, I have completed the assignment for what? Redemption. Are you with me? It is finished. This is why Paul tells us that in that assignment, it is not only death that is important. That death is part of the journey, but if Christ had stayed dead in the grave, then Christianity would be meaningless. So that journey that Christ came to do, he had to die, but he also had to what? Indicative of the fact that you die and then you are resurrected as a new man. Also indicative of the fact that this life you are living now is not the end. You too are going to experience resurrection. Are you with me? So it says, if we are buried with Christ, we will also be what? Resurrected with him. Redemption. So when you get born again, your being born again is now what we call salvation. That is you now individually appropriating redemption to your life. Redemption is general. Salvation is what? So this is why when you want to get born again, there is a process. What is the process I showed you during this teaching? You believe with your heart. What do you believe? That that thing that Jesus did that is called redemption... That thing justified me. What does it mean to be justified? To be declared not guilty. I'm no longer guilty of Adam's sin. Just as by one man's sin, many became sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will become what? Righteous. So when Adam sinned, the Bible says, all sinned. And when all sinned, all became candidates of the wrath of God. And when we speak about the wrath of God, we're not talking about a God who is angry. We're talking about a God who is willing to give you what you deserve. So sinners, the reason they are going to go to hell is because that is what they deserve. Not because God is wicked. Or because God wants to revenge. You say, eh, you don't serve me and you go so far. No. It's because that is what they deserve. Are you with me? So salvation personalizes the package of redemption. Now, when you get saved, that is not the end of the journey. Salvation now makes it possible for you 
to begin the real journey of becoming part of God's family. Remember what is God doing? He's building a family. Give me Romans chapter 8 and 29. Well, let's begin at 28. Romans chapter 8 and 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who what? Love God. To those who are called, are, are the called according to what? What is his purpose? He's building what? Next verse. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to what? The image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many who? Give us a simpler translation. Are you getting blessed? Simpler translation. Good. For God knew his people were and he chose them to become like who? So that his son would be the firstborn among many what? What is God building? That's the purpose of God. A family. But for him to build that family he has a template because the original template was corrupted. Remember, he blessed them and he said, Be fruitful, multiply, do what? Fill the earth. Hmm? So they were supposed to what? Multiply. So Adam was supposed to give birth after his own kind. Are you with me? So when Adam rebelled, a virus was now installed in the software called man. That virus is called corruption on the basis of sin. And the dwelling place of that virus called sin is in the flesh. So, everybody that is born of a man, what you transfer to your children is, in, is that virus. This is why, dear sister, when Jesus needed to be born, God could not allow Jesus to be born by the activity of mortal sexual intercourse. Are you here? Because if Jesus had been born as a result of the intercourse between Mary and Joseph, he would not have been born sinless. And if he was not born sinless, he could not have become the Lamb of God that taketh away. That's what Moses was showing us in Leviticus. He said, when you want to come and atone for your sins, you must come with a Lamb that has no what? Blemish. Sinless. Are you with me? So sin transfers. Transfer. That's why John told us that he was born not of human will. I mean, those of us that are, are born again, we are born not of human will, not by sexual intercourse, but by the will of God. Speaking about the salvation experience. Are you with me? So, he now puts a pattern. And that pattern is called Christ. Dear sister, when we want to make it into the new Jerusalem, you know what the angels are going to be checking? Whether we look like Jesus. So people are not going to do 419 into heaven. Eh? When you appear there, they are going to scan. And that scanning is going to check whether you modeled that character of the Son of God. 
Because what God is trying to do is that he's building a family. But in that family, there is a model. Everybody must look like who? His son. So that his son will be the what? Firstborn. And then the rest of us will be his brothers. There is a problem. If your father is God, and the seed by which you were born is the Holy Spirit, and yet when we look, like, look at you, you don't look like Jesus. So then there is a problem we need to ask. If you are looking like your landlord, you know in the things of the Spirit, your landlord is Satan. Hmm? The Bible calls him the prince of this world. He's the landlord here. Your tenancy fees every month. Satan, they collect. He is your landlord, your landlord. So how can you claim that God is your father and the seed of the spirit has been, has impregnated your spirit, but when you will look at you, who do you look like? The landlord. Jesus is Lord. So if you are looking, at the, at looking like the landlord, we now need to be asking, who is your father? This is the problem in the body of Christ. When we look at things that are happening around, we are wondering, are these our brothers? Are these our sisters? You don't look like our elder brother, the Christ? Okay, let's say it's possible. You still don't look like Holy Ghost. You don't look like the Father. Oh God, there is no possibility again. There is something wrong with the DNA that you carry. So many people who don't look like us, hmm? you know what they do? If by paradventure they have successfully snuck in on our ways, the Bible says that they have ability to creep in. Olivania. They creep in unnoticed. When they creep in, they establish themselves. And once they've established themselves, and they know that you can look at them and say, this one does not look like one of us. You know what they do? They begin to do philanthropy. Hmm? Because they think that you can cover the fact that you have not aligned with the firstborn by acts of love. Hmm? Do you know how Judas betrayed Jesus? With an act of love. <laughs> Jesus cried out in the garden of Gethsemane. He said, Judas! Do you betray me with a kiss? You know what Jesus was saying? So of all things, of all the signals you could have chosen, you don't understand. Of all these, why did he not say, as I enter there, the one I walk around like this is the one? Why did he not say, the one I go and shake? Could Judas not have shook Jesus? You know what? He, went, he wanted to show that I have something with the man. And of all things, he betrayed his master. With an act of love. That cry in Gethsemane was the cry of a broken heart. 
do you betray me with a kiss? Of all things, Judas, a kiss? You know that's what many Christians do. They become very proximous. They are around the things of God. When you look at them, it looks like they love God. But at the slightest opportunity, the very acts of love become the platform for their betrayal. For their betrayal. So in the family, the pattern has already been set. He says, you must become like who? A son. So that his son will be the firstborn among many what? Brothers and sisters. So God is building what? That's the purposes of God. And how is he building that family? He has redeemed man. The man who believes that God is his Lord and Savior becomes saved. And now that he's saved, the process of sanctification can now begin. That process of sanctification is to make you look like who? Jesus. So God begins to work on your desires, work on your appetites, work on everything about your life. I counsel you, if you have never done it deliberately before in your life, sit down with the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and study the firstborn. Don't rush. Sit down with the... Study how Jesus thought. Study the words that came out of his mouth. There are many of you in church now, if I ask you what was Jesus' message, you don't know. There are things you have heard in church. That was not what Jesus came to shout about. There are many things Christianity has prioritized. Jesus didn't have time for it. Many no denominational creeds, no dress codes, no religious lingo and jargons. We don't know Jesus. So the average Christian cannot measure their spiritual growth. Once they begin to talk and sound like their general overseers, they have matured, so they give them a parish. Once they have become rich and they can contribute to church work, they say he's mature now, they give him a position. Meanwhile, the person we are talking about, when Jesus looks at him, he says, who be this? He doesn't look like Jesus. His thinking is still controlled by his landlord. His desires are controlled by the landlord. When you just need to hear Christians talk. You hear the ambitions of a so-called young believer. Sometimes I shudder in fear. Somebody was pointing to me some days ago in my campus. And he showed me a campus leader. What did I call it? Campus fellowship leader. A brother. Earrings in both ears. Huh? Trouser. The buttocks is on advertisement. Huh? And he told me, he said, apart from all this, this is a chronic smoker. How did he become fellowship leader? You know why? Because now fellowship leadership is by election. In our days, we used to pray and fast. When handover is coming, leaders used to lose weight. 
Hmm? They go into their cave to be alone with the Lord. But now we say, Peter and the apostles cast lots to select Matthias. Forgetting that the Holy Ghost had not come at that time. Hmm? Then people sit down and they say, who do you like to be president? They say, ah. Say, if you see Jimmy, they pray. He will be a good president. All the eyes say, hey. Hey. All the names say, no. No. Then he becomes president. Then we are wondering why our campuses have become like wildernesses. All kinds of doctrine has crept in. Because the pattern has been lost. The emphasis for Christian leadership is no longer godly character. We don't check. What does this person's ambition look like? Some of us that are in church now, if we hear your ambition in this life with all your tongues, we'll be afraid. There are many Christians that can do anything for money and for comfort in this life. So you hear things in worry like, suffer, never tire you. As beautiful as that slogan is, that slogan has become a yoke on people's neck. The reason they want to die now is that suffer. Don't tire me. So I will do anything to make it in life. So there are many in church, they don't look like Jesus. So what God does to you at salvation is that he begins to sanctify. He prunes. What else does he do? He purges. Then he teaches you what? The way of death. If you go through these three dealings successfully, you will begin to look like Jesus. Begin to look like Jesus. And then God's purposes would now have been what? Accomplished. Is building what? So what is the end of the Christian life? If you understand the purpose of God, then you know the end of the Christian life. The end of the Christian life is that you that God is working on, you ensure that in your dealings with God, you begin to look like Jesus. Because at the end of the age, you are going to stand before God as judge. And every Christian is going to receive according to their works, what they have done. The end of the Christian life is not just to survive mortality. What I mean by that is that the end of the Christian life is not just to survive this realm. It's to make it to eternity where you are going to spend forever with the Lord. If you do not make it there, your human existence was a waste. The reason we are still here, my brother, let me give you a spoke. The reason we are still here is that God is working. He's using this time to make sure that you have the opportunity to meet this criteria. That's why we are here. So that he can come back for a family. Aye! Did you read in Ephesians? Okay. I know that scripture talks about marriage. Where is that scripture? Ephesians 5 21. Give me Ephesians 5 21. It talks about marriage, but let me show you something. 
Okay, go to the next verse. Submitting to one another. Yes, marriage. 22. Wives, submit your, to your own husbands as to who? Next verse. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is what? The head of the church. And he is the what? Savior of the body. 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands. How? 25. Husbands, love your wives. Now, God does not leave it ambiguous. He's not leaving you to guess. So he now begins to describe how husbands are to do what? Who is he using as an example? Christ is the pattern man. Your example is Christ. He says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, the next verse is where I'm going, that he might do what? And do what? With the washing of water by the word. Why? That he might present her himself, what? Not having what? Spot or wrinkle or anything, but that she should be what? And without what? That's what he's doing. That's the end of the Christian life. That when you appear before the Lord, you will have no spot, you will have no wrinkle, or any such thing, but you will be holy and what? That's the end of the Christian life. If you don't meet this requirement, you will not be able to spend eternity with the Lord. Are we good to that point? So as we are trying to establish this last week, we now said that there are three things that will allow you as a Christian not to exist in this realm as a what? Spiritual prostitute. And the first thing we said is that you must know who you are and to whom you belong. You must know where your allegiances lie. The secret of surviving this realm where Satan is the landlord. For now. Because the original landlord is coming. He is coming back. And then he will roll away this earth and the heavens and he will bring a new heaven and a new earth. And he will come back to take over what it is that Satan has corrupted. Hmm? If your allegiance is not to the devil, we need to see it in the way you live. And your living begins with your identity. Many Christians are suffering an identity crisis. And if you know how important identity is, you will not joke with your Christian identity. If you see a brother walk in here now, hmm, and ushers are trying to give him the spare seat in front, because everywhere is packed, and there's one seat here, and they want to give him a seat in front. And the brother walks in, holding one of his trousers like this. There's no belt. And he's walking like this. And then he has ratty. And has white iPhone ear pods in his ear. And then as he, he comes... <laughs> what will come to your mind? Yahoo! Is it not true? Why? Because there is an identity around that gang. 
In the world, the world is not afraid of creating identities. Because they know that identity communicates your reality. They are not afraid. Notice that in the worldly music industry, nudity is part of the industry, is part of the way they sell their records. Oh, you've not noticed? It's, it's, it's an identity. It's, it's communicating something. But the Christian suffers an identity crisis. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to look like like I'm different. He's afraid of being distinct. It's because you do not know who you are. And you do not know that you are not your own. The Bible says you have been bought with a price. You belong to Jesus. You don't know who your father is. Second thing we said is that the Christian does not want to suffer pain. Your separation is going to be costly. What scripture did we use? Matthew 18, I think it's verse 8 to 9. Matthew 18, 8 to 9. Give me Matthew 18, 8 to 9. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, what should you do to it? Why? Why is he giving you this recommendation? Because there is the end of the Christian life. It is better for you to enter into where? That means this thing you are doing is not life. Life is at the end of this life, which is actually the beginning of eternity. I've taught you many times, nobody will escape eternity. It's either you will resurrect to eternal life or you will resurrect to eternal damnation. You won't escape. Every one of us has eternity factored into our destiny. He said, if your goal, if your goal is life, you must be willing to suffer pain. Christians don't want to suffer pain. We want to, we want a Christianity that does not lay a demand on how we live. We want a Christianity that says, everything goes, just live anyhow. So somebody can harbor strange appetites that if they were ever to tell you what is in their heart, you, you, you'll be afraid. That's what Jesus was saying. He said, you wash the outside of the cup, but the inside is smelling. You take care of the outside of the tomb, but inside is like dead men's bones. Smelling death and corruption and decay. All kinds of things are still welling up in there. The Christian does not want to be dealt with by God. The Christian does not want to be confronted. The Christian wants to be able to enjoy the so-called liberties of this world, hoping that God somehow will overlook their excesses. This was Jesus preaching. Jesus. He said, anyone who is preparing for life, you are going to meet a holy God. Unholy desires cannot survive. So if you find an unholy desire, what do you do? Cut it off. Cut it off. Sometimes start cutting. 
will be painful. Painful. So sometimes God will see that you, you, love, you love cookies. Like you, if, you see, if you see starch and bang and oh, my brother, have you heard of yellow, yellow? Meruveneka. Once you see starch and oh soup with dry fish. Did you hear response? People say, They have died. They have died. Eh? You can faint. Then God now comes to you and says, I have found out that this food <laughs> has capacity to finish your spiritual life. And now says, No, oh, one starch. Then you'll be waiting to hear, How long? <laughs> That's where the sentence ends. No, oh, and starch. You know the funny thing about that, Pastor? The minute God gives you that instruction, every week, your mother will be cooking. <laughs> because the Bible says that until the time that his manifestation was going to come, the word of the Lord did what? Tried him. When Satan came to test Eve, what did she come to test? The word of God. He, he came to Eve and said, Did God say? <laughs> if you know how important the commandments of God are to you fulfilling destiny, you will not joke with what God has told you. The Christian is afraid of pain. So the pain of lack can lead a sister to sleep with a man just so that she can survive that pain of lack. You know what Jesus was saying here? If you don't endure pain here, there's a pain that will not end on the other side. It's better to survive pain here and enter into heaven recognizing that you had scars than to go to heaven without scars and be in pain for eternity. The Bible says in, this, in, in life, the fire, what the Bible calls the second death, the fire does not go out. People who have had the privilege that God has showed them hell, they say the screaming, the screaming will make your heart fly out. I listened to a preacher. The reason he became a radical man of evangelism was that God showed him the open mouth of hell. He saw men screaming. One of my daughters lost her brother some days ago. I was just lying on my bed in my hotel room in Lagos, just praying in tongues, waiting for my meeting. And then her message popped up. And because of the way my phone is designed, the message showed. And I saw, Daddy, I just lost my brother. Hi. I said I need to pray. So I was just praying. Thinking in my heart. It's one of the most toughest things for a pastor. Grief. If you've never known grief, you don't know what it is. 
If you've never felt pain, sometimes when you go and console people, just sit down. Don't open your mouth and say, eh, God understands. Oga. Oga. Just sit down with the person and cry. And sometimes you just need to be silent because you don't know it except your heart has felt it. Have you felt pain that will seize your breath? Eh? You can't breathe. So I was thinking, what do I tell her? I'll pray in tongues. So when I was done, I picked my phone. I called her. I expected the person I was calling to be mourning that her brother had died. I heard her crying from the other side. Loud wailing. And I said, oh, who will help her now? Then I heard her say, my brother can't die. He doesn't yet know Jesus. So her pain was not occasioned that by a life that was lost. That was taken forcefully by Satan. She was weeping on the phone. And I'm talking about Christ. I had to reach Pastor Mina and say, send people to where she is. Her pain on the phone, she said, he is not yet saved. Daddy, my brother can die. He's not yet born again. You know, the average Christian does not know that what you are living now is not life. True life is going to begin at the other side. What to you that you have the best? What man calls the best on this side? But when you get there, you find out that you didn't suffer the pain of separation. You didn't learn the way of holiness. And then you want to appear before a holy and a righteous judge. And he says, look at blemish. Look at spots. Look at wrinkles. This one can't make it into my chambers. Because when we get there, our eyes are going to look upon the one whom our heart loves. And we are going to live with him forever. See, your Christian life must cost you. In this perverse world, it will cost you. It will cost you a commitment so high. They can be sharing stolen money where you are and your rent is due. They are sharing the stolen money where you are. And they count your own out and say, this is your share. And landlord has already broken your door key. And they called you that they are packing your things outside. You look at stolen money and you say, I will rather enter into life. Maimed than to touch what God calls an abomination. If I have to sit under the rain with my Ghana must go. And they say, why are you sitting here? 
I'm waiting for God to give me another house. If you are not willing to suffer pain, I came to tell you, you can't walk with Jesus. Let a sister open breast for you like this and you say, ah, 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 ah. You came late. I will rather die than touch immorality. Because there's, there's something called an everlasting fire. I don't even want my enemy to go there. Talk less of my family members. We are afraid of pain. Meanwhile, the people who serve Satan, they have a pain threshold that is limitless. If Satan tells them, put your hand inside grinder, they will put it in honor for the one whom they worship. But the Christian cannot even pay the sacrifice of purity. He's so in love with masturbation. The pleasure of masturbation is too sweet for her to say, I want to serve Jesus. The pleasure of sexual immorality is too sweet. You can't suffer pain. So if you don't have sex and you die, you have missed something. It's because you do not even know what it is that you have. What you have with God has not become so attractive that you are willing to do anything to protect it. So, so young person, good job day. Good job day. So Christians are fornicating. Christians are stealing at work. Those who are not fornicating are engaging in all kinds of physical intimacy. You, you, you go to the girl's house, you are touching her body, satisfying your lusts. And then you just want to walk into church. You don't know who you are dealing with. A holy God! This road that I chose, I know the pain I have suffered. Reduce my age to get work. For what? How much do you want to pay? I will rather be maimed than because of a few hundred thousand go and spend my life in everlasting fire. Some have even mastered the art of compromise that they are telling themselves, I will do it, then I will go and ask God for mercy. They are playing Ludo with their salvation. Playing games with their relationship with God. What did they switch you for immorality? What did they switch you inside? So God cannot come and tell you that you will not marry. So your, your desire for sex will kill you. Sex. That those of us who are married can go days. Days. There are bodies the Holy Ghost will give you. You... you you will, you, you, will, you will see bomb bomb and you, you, you will not have appetite for bomb bomb. The appetite for sex will die. That's why Christians are sleeping with their gardeners. Pastors are sleeping with their church members. People can't control their urges. There is something too sweet in this realm. The Christian does not want to suffer pain. 
And you see, this is why Satan has succeeded to rubbish many people's Christian life. So compromise has started. You know how compromise begins? With a little step. Eh? Then when they have taken one step, they see, shoo, I didn't die. Now, wow. So I didn't die. When they took one step, they, they came out and they said, Bro, come and lead prayer. And he came like this. Cover, ever. Nandi, gudu, gudu. As he's doing it in his heart, he's saying, Kai, the thing is still there. Say now, wow. He took one step. He didn't die. He now starts taking another. That's how Solomon became a, a he lost the kingdom. Oh, you've not seen that scripture? Give me first Kings chapter eleven. Hmm. I know that you can say I have seen you say before. <laughs> If you choose not to save me, you are worth dying for. I know that you can deliver. I have seen you deliver before. But if you choose not to deliver me, you are worth dying for. But King Solomon did what? Loved many foreign women. How did he begin? He began with the daughter of Pharaoh. Eh? Why did Solomon want the daughter of Pharaoh? Because of political alliances. He wanted an alliance that would keep him relevant in the region. So he looked at Egypt with all her might and all her glory. All her captivity and all her worldliness. And he went and caught a pact with Egypt by a covenant of marriage. Hmm. When he took the first step and he saw that he didn't die. Because you, you, you may be wondering why is pastor talking like this. Give me Deuteronomy chapter 7. I think it is verse 5. Oh, I need to find that scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Show me verse 5. Okay, go to verse 4. Verse 4. Verse 3. Verse 2. That's it. That's what I'm looking for. And when the Lord your God delivers them over... Okay, begin at verse 1. Verse 1. Verse 1. Go to verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you... Who are the nations? The Hittites, the Gergashites... The Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. If seven nations greater and mightier than you, verse 2, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and what? Utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor do what? Next verse. Nor shall you do what? You shall not give your daughter to their son. Nor take their daughter for your son. Verse 4. For they will do what? So that they do what? So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and do what? Are you with me? So Solomon took the daughter of Pharaoh and he was watching God. Now whether God will destroy him suddenly 
He saw that he didn't die. So he said, this God must be a weak God. Maybe God has changed the rules. Holiness is old school. Consecration is old school. Men like Kessiana and Siri, the son of Apostle Aromel, like, you know that's how bloggers do it now. They are making the gospel hard. He's teaching legalism. Come on now. When you fornicate with a sister, just get up and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Shiru, 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 shiru. Get up and walk away. You don't need to condemn yourself. And just in case you want to fornicate again, a righteous man falleth seven times and he get it up again. It doesn't matter how many times. Just keep going, bro. Keep going. Keep going. They are trying to make this gospel hard. How can you say masturbation is a sin? It's just the natural expression of a man's desire. Is it not better to masturbate than to go and fornicate? Look at the rhymes. My God. So he took a step with, step with Pharaoh's daughter. Go back. Go back. Go back. We are in Pharaoh's daughter now with Solomon. Media is not in this Bible study. First Kings chapter 11. We're in verse 1. So he loved the daughter of Pharaoh. Then he went to where? Women of the Moabites. The Ammonites. The Edomites. The Sidonites. The Hittites and all the ites you can think about. <laughs> Next verse. From the nations whom, of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. What, Sol what did Solomon did? He clung to this. How? How come you love the very things that God hates? Why is it the thing that God hates? That is what you love. Solomon did what? He clung. That's an unholy desire. He held on to it. Some of you are, since three years now, God has been talking to you about movie. Say, my daughter, I want to help you. Leave watching movie for now. Leave it. You have clung. Why? You love it. A brother is asking, please, oh, Show me in the Bible where it says, Thou shalt not gamble. He's clinging on to, a, a, to an abomination. What God hates. He's in love with it. But because he has not died, eh? is it a big, small, small? 1,000. You know, Satan is like that. When you have suffered, suffered, you have lost 250,000. Then he will allow you to pick 2K. The 2K is to show you you say, it they work, it they work. Now just say, I never get favor before God. Then you will lose another 300,000. And this 300,000 he has borrowed from mobile apps. He's a debtor. He leaves his house in the night now, in the night. He has even changed the way he walks so that they will not identify him. He's a debtor. He's, 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 he's a thief on the run. But he's still hoping one day I go pick. Satan has become, has, has put a yoke. But you know what he's doing? He's clinging in. How can you be clinging on to something that God said I will use to destroy you? Let's read. 
I wanted to show you Judas, but I might not be able to. Maybe I will touch Judas during the conclave. Because people have asked me many times, why did God choose Judas, even though he knew Judas was a thief? Hmm? <laughs> Next verse. And he had how many wives? Princesses. Some of them were princesses out of that 700. And how many concubines? And what did the wives do? Turned away. God is not a joker. If he tells you now like this, it will happen. That's how it's going to happen. They turned away his heart from him. When the Bible says, he that commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Eh? You may not know the consequence, but Jesus knows. So because you finished fornicating and you stood up and your body was still robust and fresh. You say, where do you sin for the body now? Meanwhile, your destiny has become a trading item in the realm of the spirit. Unclean spirits have now put up your destiny for sale. And they are selling it to the highest bidder. All kinds of demonic affliction have been assigned to your life. That's why in the natural, if you have unprotected sex, you can have sexually transmitted diseases. There are things that is the demonic realm is sharing. One of the gateways is sexual immorality. Once you engage... Your spirit becomes porous. And the things that they are hawking, they are demonic trading floors. The things that they are hawking in that demonic realm, they now find easy places to deposit them. They turn the way his heart. Verse 4. Verse 4. For it was so. What happened to him? When Solomon became what? He was old. No strength again. That his wife turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. Next verse. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth. You will see four gods. The goddess of the Sidonians. After Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Verse 6. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow, fully follow the Lord as his father David. How did he not follow? He did not fully. So partially he was following. But fully. If your obedience is not complete, it is disobedience. Then Solomon built a high place. A high place is a place of worship. He built for Shemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem. And for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. Next verse. And he did likewise for how many? All his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Listen. Originally, Jerusalem was a place of worship for the, king of, for the God of the King of David. But in the day of Solomon, the incense of the Lord became overshadowed by incense to abominations. That is what is happening in the church in Nigeria today. The high places that were built to the Lord in the days of the SU revival. The high places that were built by the Nigerian church for the Lord to ride and invade where we saw God walk in our midst like a man. Those high places have been taken over by Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth is the demonic fertility god. Do you know how they worshipped Ashtoreth? They had what they called ritual sex. They had temple prostitutes. She's the one that is called Easter by the Assyrians. She's the one that is called Astera by the Greek and the Romans. 
part of their worship was that males will have homosexual sex with males. Women that were temple prostitutes, you slept with them as part of the worship experience. Sexual immorality. This is what was attractive to Israel in Moab. Illicit sex. They knew that if they stayed in Israel, God would not allow illicit sex. So in Numbers 25, when Satan wanted to destroy them, what did he do? He made them to start sleeping with Moabite women as part of a worship process. And they were destroyed. Next verse, verse 9. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him how many times? Next verse. And had commanded him concerning this thing. So God had told him. Are you with me? You know the revelation you saw? Hmm? The one that they showed us, the, the part you remember from that revelation is where he said, Give me wisdom! Eh? So when you want to pray, you say, Give me wisdom like Solomon. But in that instruction, God also told him, Concerning what? That he shouldn't go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. You know why? It's easier to slide into compromise than to have a sure footing in consecration. Consecration is hard work. Compromise is an easy excuse. If you want to be consecrated, it will cost you your time, your sleep. You don't read everything on the internet. You don't watch everything that I've afforded. You don't listen to every preacher. It's not pride. I beg you, I'm protecting the small fire that I have. Let the man be popular. Let them be sharing all his videos on TikTok and everywhere. If I look at it once and my spirit revolts, I don't care what you say. I have something with God. Because when God will come for me like this, you will not be there. Where were the wives when God was talking? Why did God not go and punish the wives? His matter is not with the people that are not in his family. The ones that are not in his family, his passion is to bring them in, to make them a part of the fold. But the ones in his family, his passion is to make you like Christ. And in making you like Christ, he will deal with you as a son. Go further. <laughs> Verse 11. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely do what? Tear the kingdom away from you and give it to who? This is what made the kingdom of Israel to become divided. No time. We're out of time. Go and read this story and finish it. Do you know what God now did? God now remembered, ah, I have a covenant with David. He said, because of my covenant with David, I will not do it in your time. I will do it in the day of your son. Hmm? Because of who? My covenant with David. Then God now remembered again. He said, ah, David was my good son. It's okay, because of my covenant with David, I will not take all the nations from you. I will leave one. Go and read it. You don't know that what we are enjoying now, some men have made covenants. If not the incense of Ashtoreth, the sexual immorality in our pulpits. Hmm. 
You know who, who Chemosh was? Is it Chemosh now? No, it's Molech. You know who Molech was? Molech was the one that God was telling them that they must not sacrifice their children, pass their children through fire. Now, the children that God has committed to certain priests who claim to be priests of the Lord in church, they are sacrificing members for their belly. People can do anything to grow a church. People no longer care what is being preached. They are passing children through the fire, sacrificing the, the, the sons and daughters of God to the gods of immorality, to the gods of prosperity. A prosperity gospel that is anti the prosperity pattern in the Bible. In the Bible. So all kinds of things are happening. The same gods that Solomon raised altars for have found their way into the church. Molech, Ashtoreth, Milcom. They are all there. And you don't know what is keeping us. God is looking at the covenant that he had with certain men. If not, by now. I woke up one day and the tears were falling from my eyes. I read something that somebody said about me. I'm not the one that went to look for it. They sent it to me. I read it. Then I stayed in my room and I said, is it, Lord, is it that I'm wrong? If I am wrong, here I am. Teach me. These things I'm doing, I'm not doing because I'm looking for where to preach. If I had the opportunity, I won't be in ministry. I'm standing before God. He sees my heart. I don't want to do this thing. The reason I'm doing it is because he told me there's nothing else in this realm for you. This is your destiny. Then I began to show him. I said, see what is happening in church. See what is happening in church. See this now, see this. How can you be seeing this thing and you're allowing it to happen? <laughs> he said, they came to tell him, the one whom thou lovest has died. They told him he was sick. Is that not what happened in John chapter 11? They said, the one, Lazarus, whom thou lovest, is sick. He waited for Lazarus to die. As if he didn't care. But when he appeared, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He told me, he said, I will return. He said, when I return, out of the death that you see, the remnant will arise. He told me. The tears were falling. I said, how can? Somebody sent me a long message from the UK about the atrocities of a pastor. Oh my God. I read and my eyes were filled with tears. I go to campuses. I hear what presidents do to, to some, some presidents do with their female members. People reach out to me telling me stories they can't share anywhere else. Looking for consolation. I said, how can you be allowing this to happen? He said, wait. When he arrived at the grave of Lazarus, Lazarus had already died. It is out of that death that the brightness of his glory is going to emerge. There are 7,000 who have not bowed to bow. In the day that the resurrection and the life appears, that remnant, Isaiah was the one that prophesied. He said, if the Lord 
had not left us a remnant, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. My assignment is to prepare the remnant. And I'm not talking about remnant Christian network now. I'm talking about a people who have made up their mind that even if it's pain, we are ready to suffer. Because of David's covenant, God said, I will not do it in your day. <laughs> May we not be the generation that leaves judgment for our children. That God is just keeping us because of our, of our fathers, but we, we have not caught anything serious with God. And our children are already waiting for the judgment. God forbid. While I prayed, man of God, the Lord said, go to your people tonight and let every man beg for mercy. Tonight we want to cry and say, return. But before you return, will you not have mercy upon a generation? Upon your church? Will you not have mercy? We are they that have sacrificed our children through the fire. We are they that have taken our daughters to the altars of Ashtoreth. Girls have come in pure. And it is pastors that have abused their lives. Pastors. Some young ladies in this church now, they are afraid of men of God. Afraid. One came to see me some years ago. She said, the reason I can't talk to men of God, see, 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 see. I, 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 I was broken. 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 I don't know. I wanted to walk away from this, but God won't let me. Listen, there's a young lady I need to talk to. I don't know if you are here or you are online. Listen now. I bring you warning from the Lord. You are falling in love with a strange man. I bring you warning. Huh. It's strange women that took Solomon in the wrong direction. I told you last week, a man that does not know God is not fine. Don't look at him twice. The lady I speak about, she has, begun, she has built feelings. And this person, she knows, is an unbeliever. I was going to walk away from it, but I remembered he told me when I was praying, God said he will destroy you. That relationship, not God himself, but that man will destroy you. You better experience the pain of scattering that relationship now. Huh. If you don't, you will know that I did not lie. If you can stand, if you can kneel, if you can lie down, I want you to beg him now. Have mercy upon us. upon us Africa, in Zambia, in Angola, in Kenya, 
in Gambia, in Cameroon, in Eritrea, everywhere. We stand for the church in North America. We stand for the church in South America. We stand for the church in Europe. We stand for the church in, in, in Asia, in Australia. Lord, have mercy! I beg you to pray tonight. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Homosexuals have broken through our ranks. They now pastor churches. Ladies are getting slaughtered on the altar of sexual immorality. A prosperity gospel that is raising thieves and liars and idolaters has found an altar. A hypocrite gospel that has weakened the consecration and the sanctification of young men and young women has become popular. Can you pray? I know I have run out of time. But can you take five minutes and say, Lord, because of your covenant, don't abandon us. You have a covenant with our generation. For we are the generation that seek your face. We are a generation that desires holiness. We are a generation that wants to be separate. We will not go to Moab. We will not go to Babylon. We will not go to Unknown. We will not go to Moab. Lord!
Don't leave us like this. We are tired of telling stories. Let there be fire again. Let there be power again. Let your glory come again. We are Zion. We hail the King of Zion. We are the citizens of Zion. Kingdom reigns forevermore. We hail Zion. We hail the King of Zion. We are the citizens of Zion. Kingdom reigns forevermore. We are the citizens of Zion. citizens of Zion we came to lift your banner high Yahweh be lifted high we are the citizens of Zion we've come to lift your banner high Yahweh be lifted high we are the citizens we are the citizens of Zion We've come to lift your banner high. Yahweh, we We hail Zion. We hail Zion. We hail the King of Zion. We are the citizens of Zion. The King of Grace forevermore. We hail Zion. We hail Zion. We hail the King of Zion. We are the citizens of Zion. If you listen to my father in the Lord when he was giving prophetic insight for 2024 <laughs> he said that the Lord has spoken that there will be judgment in his house. <laughs> judgment! Many voices that have led erroneous directions the Lord has determined that this year he's going to put his finger of judgment we beg God that he will show the church mercy that his glory will return his power will return that indeed the Puritan army will arise men that hate compromise Women that are not afraid to suffer rejection, suffer pain, so that they might enter into life. Oh, Rabada Balkozia. What's that song? I pledge allegiance to the land. 